the book of Acts is marked by the miraculous. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God used miracles to bless his people and advance his kingdom. In 2023, we're believing God for miracles that will testify of his love and power. So we can know him and let him be known. All right. Well, you get a lot of me this morning. My name is Ben Chapman. I am the lead pastor here. I'm not always doing the offering and the greeting in every single moment up here. I actually love when other people participate in that. But we had, we had a, one of our campus ministers was going to preach this morning, Jaron Templeton. And uh, she's out sick this morning, so pray for her. And, uh, and we're, we're switching it up in our series, Miracles. And so we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be there in just a moment. Excited to share God's word with you this morning. And so... So as you turn there, we've been we've been in this series and and she was going to speak Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead. But she's going to come back next week, better, stronger, more, more efficient, all that stuff. So so we're excited for that. And it's going to be incredible what she shares with us. And and uh, as we're in this series, uh, it, 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 we, we read about we read about this common story. Right. Y'all all remember the kid with the lunchbox who brought it to Jesus and fed 5,000, right? You remember that story. We grew up with that story. It's commonly spoken about. And so we're going to be in a familiar passage this morning. And as we are there, I'm praying that God would illuminate something new to you this morning. Because I do believe that Scripture is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, that it is, it is living and breathing, and it can move in such a way that would open your eyes or, or perk up your ears in a new way, an insightful way. Because how many of you know that relationships are, are, are organic and they start moving and they start going around? How many of you know if, if you could just predict right your spouse or, or just predict your roommate or your friend, then you wouldn't have to do anything new or different, right? If the relationship would start to get stale, if there wasn't a shared ideas. This past week, I, I got to rekindle with a bunch of my high school buddies, college buddies, and we went skiing at Steamboat, and it was awesome. And, and, uh, and I won't lie, my, my quads felt like they were 40. Uh, I'm still a little sore, still a little limping this morning. I, I, prayed, I prayed a lot, and then I took some ibuprofen also so that God could use that ibuprofen to heal even more rapidly. I'm just kidding. But but it was it was awesome. But what I love about like old relationships is is there's a shared ideas that begin to happen. There's a dialogue or conversation that begins to take place and and it it, it, it begins to energize you in a fresh way, doesn't it? It begins to move in such a way that you just felt energy and and, and the conversations aren't old. You could tell old stories, but for some reason they sound new. How many of you know that's true in your relationships and your friendships and, and wherever you are? It, it, it happens oftentimes in our life where, where you, you start sharing stories. We have so many stories together and, and we're laughing and, and we forget moments, right? And so we bring up the moments that we forgot and start laughing about that. And, and we start 
moving in a place of conversation that, that actually is, is really sweet and it becomes intimate. You see, that's how intimacy derives itself is when there's shared physical, emotional, conversational experiences. And I just want to tell you right now this morning is that God wants to be intimate with you. And, uh, and, and he wants a relationship in such a way that there's shared emotions, that there's, there's, your spirit would be rekindled with him often. And so that's my prayer this morning as we read John chapter 6, verse 5 through 14. Let's read it together this morning. It says this, lifting up his eyes then and seeing, verse 5, I'm sorry, that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, How the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray this morning. Father, we, uh, we need you. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Jesus, I pray that you would put us on the hillside, that you would seat us on the grass, sit us on the grass, and God, set us on the grass. And God, that you would come and that you would teach Lord, I just pray that it would be alive just like it was then. You're so alive, you can come and you can speak now clearly. Jesus, help us. Help us see you. Help us walk in this way. We love you so much. Amen. There's five things, five points that I want to bring out of the scripture this morning. And so five five particular things that I want to pull out. The first one is that there's great problems. Everybody say great problems. Great problems. How many of you know are, are familiar with great problems in your life? I, I, I know that I've been very familiar with great problems in my life. I've had multiple problems, financial problems, right? Those seem like the largest problems, especially for college students, eh? Like, you know, you, 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 you realize like financial problems. Some of them are relational problems between your, between your spouse. Some of them are relational problems between your kids or your grandchildren. And you realize that life has a lot of problems, doesn't it? There's a lot of challenges that come up against us. And we can't seem to avoid the problems that persist around us. In fact, the more that you live life, the more problems that you endure. It's why some of you have decided to only have one friend in life. It's because if I just have one friend in life, then that would be all my problems. 
Some of you decided to not ever go into the office ever again, and you're going to do a work-from-home job. Because work-from-home jobs seem to alleviate some of the problems that the office has. One of those being the traffic that has now ensued upon 1604. Am I the only one who just wants to pastor people through Zoom? It's so much easier to do it that way. Problems keep coming and they keep arising. And here we have Jesus, and, and you know the story. We've been talking about it. And John, Jesus is going, he's deciding to go with his disciples to retreat, to go to a remote place. He's been doing a lot of signs and what we are referring to in the series as miracles, God interventions that are unexplainable to science or any natural causation. They're God interactions with humanity. And yes, we believe that God is so extraordinary that he can do something so mighty in people's lives. And this is what is happening. And, and he decides to go with his disciples in a remote place. But when he arrives, people like have binoculars on Jesus and they're following him. You see, when you've seen so many signs performed by people, by somebody, a divine being who's claiming to be the son of God on earth, it makes you curious. In fact, some of you showed up church this morning because you're curious. Who is Jesus? What is he like? How did he transform my neighbor? How, how is their life so much different? They seem like. Even though they have problems, they have peace in their problems. Their life is altogether different and it's attractive. And so you're like, I'm going to go see this Jesus. And you showed up this morning. 5,000 men met Jesus and his disciples. Not to even be accounted with the, the women and the children there and everybody else in that place. And, and there's all these people. And when Jesus sees this, he has compassion on them. This particular sign is mentioned in all the gospel accounts of Jesus. All of them. It's the only one that has been that we're talking about in all gospel accounts. And, and we get clues from the other writers about Jesus in this moment. And, and there's this the, the one writer says that he had compassion on the crowd. How many of you know when a problem begins to arrive at your doorstep? You don't really have compassion on it. Am I the only one? I'm the one hiding behind the couch. Please don't answer the door. Please don't answer the door. The neighbor's kid is here again. Please just go away. And yet Jesus has this compassion for the people because they're hungry. And yes, although they're hungry for signs, but what he realizes is they're, they're hungry for the signs that are pointing to himself and and later will be the reconciliation between them and the Father. And so this is a beautiful moment. And so Jesus begins to teach them. He shows up to escape teaching, a sabbatical, a day off. How many of you just love your day off? It's like you go, you go hike where you don't have cell phone service. Can I get an amen? And yet, there's this moment where Jesus sees compassion. He's inconvenienced. And what I love about seeing Jesus is Jesus was okay being inconvenienced. Isn't that true? As we see some of these signs, some of these wonders, some of these miracles, they were inconvenienced. And yet he still moved. And I want to tell you right now, Luminous Church, you may feel like you're an inconvenience to God, an inconvenience to Jesus. But Jesus is saying, hey, I will work 
on your behalf and move on your behalf. There is no inconvenience. You're not inconvenient. And this is when we feel like God is deliberate when he create, creates and deliberate to make and deliberate to breathe into you. He's deliberate. You are not an inconvenience. And as he's teaching these, this crowd, as they're coming around, it's getting late. And one of the disciples say, hey, Jesus, shouldn't we send them back to town so they can go eat dinner? Because it's getting late, and, and I think they need to eat. There's no way that they can keep going. And then Jesus begins to move, and he realizes that there's a problem. There's a lot of people, but there's not enough resources. And I find that to be true is that, that in life, you're going to come across your life where you face a problem where the problem's big and you don't have enough resources for the problem that exists. Have you found that to be true? You didn't have enough emotional capacity, enough financial capacity, enough relational margin in order to move in this way. And Jesus questions his disciple and he begins to ask him. And he, and he asked Philip this, this question. He said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And in this unique moment, he said this to test him. Woo! How many like to be tested by God? Tested by Jesus? It's like the pop quiz that the teacher puts on you when you come into class. It's not fun, is it? How many of you love the pop quizzes, by the way? Like no one in here likes a pop quiz. They begin to ask him, he begins to ask him this. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Basically, a little over half a year's wage would not be enough to give everybody just a small portion. We don't have enough resources in this moment. He begins to get a little analytical, right? He begins to get in this place of, of analyzing it and, and looking at the practicality. How many of you are analytical? You look at a problem, you start doing a budget. Like this is what he begins to do. And then, and then we see Andrew, another disciple, what does he do? He actually goes and starts moving. He has some action. He hears Jesus ask this, and he's like, I'm going to be an answer to this problem. The only problem is he finds some resources, and he's thinking of a practical solution to the problem. So you have an analytical solution and a practical solution. But how many know that neither solution was enough? Neither solution was enough. So Jesus asked this question in order to test them because the question was supposed to lead to a solution. How many know that's true in life? When you have a problem, questions begin to happen because you're trying to find a solution. But when you know that there are moments in our life, and Jesus will do this with everyone in here, he'll bring you into a place where he will move you into a problem, a situation, and you'll begin to ask questions. But if you look for the solution on your own behalf, according to your flesh, your might, your mind, your will, your solution may fall short of the problem that's in front of you. And the reason Jesus was doing this is because the solution was to bring what you have, bring the fish and the bread to the bread of life. 
Our solution is, you just say, our solution is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus is always the solution. Any question we ask in church, just say Jesus, and you will be right. Jesus is the solution, and so this problem begins to happen, and we evaluate our own lives, and we realize there are problems, and the only solution for your circumstance is Jesus. Your addiction that you've been trying to overcome for years, rehab after rehab after rehab, your spending habits, your eating habits, destructive emotional behaviors to try to comfort something and you move into a place of realizing that the only solution is Jesus. You think about your wayward children who've gone far off and you realize that you've enabled and you've given handouts and you tried this and you tried that and you tried to solve their problem, but their solution is Jesus. We see that there are great problems all around us, but then we find that there's a generous seed, a generous seed that you give bread to the bread of life. And Andrew goes and he finds a boy with five loaves and two fish, and he brings it about, and there's this generous seed that begins to be taking up. And what's beautiful about this is Jesus was moving the people to a place from curiosity to belief, from their doubts to answers of trust and leaning into who he is. This is what Jesus is doing, and it's why it takes something so small, because it's, it's small faith that produces rock-hard foundation. This small seed that the boy gives Jesus, that they bring to Jesus, is all it took. You see, and it was a generous seed. And God saying this to us this morning is that he wants a seed. He wants a seed when you have a problem. He wants you to bring what you do have. He wants you to bring the, the, the resources, the prayer, the time, the petition. He wants to bring what you do have to him because when you bring it to him, you're surrendering and you realize this isn't much. What can you do with this? I realize that in, in our journey of tithing, when we tithed off of a youth pastor's pay salary, it wasn't a lot of tithe, was it, babe? It's like, God, can you really do anything with this? And God's saying, give it to me and watch how I multiply. Give it to me and watch how the kingdom advances. It's the moments that you gave of your time to babysit for that person. And it was just that one time, once upon a time, but it was all you had and you gave it in faith and God began to multiply it. God begins to do this over and over again in our lives. And the third thing we see from this scripture is that he is a gentle shepherd. Everybody say gentle shepherd. We get insight into Jesus' character in this moment. And I think when you read scripture, you have to understand the character of God, the character of the Holy Spirit, the character of Jesus, the character of the Godhead, the Trinity. Because when you do, you understand a lot about how they interact with one another and how their intentions are towards us. 
He's a gentle shepherd. Mark 6, 34 gives us this account. It says, and this isn't on the screen. I, oh, whoa, there you go, Brian. Y'all give it up for Brian. <clears throat> Brian with a Y, everybody. Okay, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Everybody said compassion. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus is the gentle shepherd, and he doesn't just feed you, but he also teaches you. He instructs you. He begins to move in this way, and he begins to teach these children or these sheep what they, what they are curious about. I, it doesn't say what, what kind of teaching he's going into or what he's saying, but I, I, I wonder if he's even talking about faith in this moment, trust in this moment. If you give God a little, watch him do something big. I wonder if he talks about losing your life so that you can gain it. I don't know what he's talking about, but I know he begins to teach them in a way that kept their interest around that they forego, they forewent breakfast and forewent lunch and remained until dinner. And in verse 10 of Mark, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down. 5,000 in number. I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's in Matthew. And then Mark says, then he commanded them. This is the same story in verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. It's interesting that Mark oftentimes leaves out the details, right? Mark is action. We know this. It's, it's the gospel of action. It's like when you're new to Christ, read Mark and you get excited. But Mark oftentimes leaves out the details, and so the, the, the writers, Matthew and Luke, decide to fill in the details. But it's unique that Mark mentions a detail in here that I think is significant for the moment because he says grass. And what kind of grass? Green grass. Green grass. See, when the good shepherd comes around and he sees the sheep, he has them lie down on green pastures. Because it's in, on green pastures that their soul gets renewed. You see, he's a good shepherd, and this moment was a moment of fulfilling Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what Jesus does. Is he, he brings the sheep and he sits them down in green pastures. And he begins to restore our souls. And it's interesting because our culture, our culture here in the West, our culture in San Antonio oftentimes wants Jesus on the go, not Jesus on the sit. 
You see, we want Bible on the go. We want McDonald Jesus. We want to have it your way, Jesus. We want our quick takeout, Jesus. We want our Bible app verse playing in the car. One verse, okay, check that off. The just do it, Jesus. Like we want all that because we are inundated with slogans from our society that we can have satisfaction like that. But Jesus is saying, I want to restore your soul. Sit down, rest on the green pastures. Watch how I refresh you. Are we too busy running around that we're missing our solutions to the biggest problems in our life? The fourth thing we see in this is great faith. Great faith. We see great faith displayed by the boy by by giving his food Five fish and two loaves. I mean, that's a lot of food for one boy. He was probably bringing that for his family, perhaps, to feed his family. So he doesn't just give his portion, but he gives his family's portion to the disciple. And the disciple comes, right, and gives it to Jesus. What faith does that take to give your food and your provision and what you need in that moment to Jesus? But he gives it. It takes great faith by everybody to sit down because the truth is life is busy and it would be better and easier to go back. When I saw a basket of five, five loaves and two fish, I'd be like, okay, I'm out. I'll see you tomorrow, Jesus. Great faith to sit down. And the disciples begin to disperse them into, I believe it's 50s and 100s. I may be wrong there, but he sits them in groups. And as he sits them in groups, it's so that they could distribute the resources in an orderly manner. I mean, how can you, you can only imagine 20,000 people. That's a big problem and a lot of chaos for 12 disciples to order. And yet they sit them down. And it took faith by those to sit down, believing that the portion was going to come to them. And the truth is, in our culture, we love to work hard, the hustle, right? We love to hustle. And we try to strive and go and go and go and go, because if I don't go enough, I won't get to where I'm supposed to be. But the truth is, if you don't sit down, you'll never arrive where you're supposed to be. It's counterintuitive, but we must rest. And there's this obedience that happens. This obedience. In fact, the word obedience is really faith at work. Faith at work. Faith at work is obedience. When you've seen a miracle, there's obviously this moment where obedience follows. Right? You see a miracle in your life. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to obey you. But when you anticipate a miracle... Obedience begins to take effect also. Okay, Jesus, I'm leaning into you. I'm trusting you. There's this moment where they were anticipating this miracle, and so they were obeying what they heard. Works is trying to earn before you hear, trying to earn relational approval. Obedience is to responding to what you've already heard. Let me say that again. That, that works, a work-based religion is one where you keep trying to strive in order to hear 
but obedience is you already have the relational equity the sheep know the good shepherd's voice and it's obeying out of what you've heard this is important to note the last thing that we see out of this passage is they gather the leftovers they begin to gather the leftovers scholars wonder why why are they gathering all these leftovers i don't know perhaps there's some significance to the number that we see here the 12 baskets full maybe it's foreshadowing that jesus who is going to take care of the 12 apostles and they would never have lack or need but i know one thing that we do know is that our god is is an abundant god and the the, the bread of life gives an abundant life. And that God will be the solution to your problem and he's gonna pour out on you more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine according to Ephesians 3.20. That he's gonna pour it out on you and he's gonna keep giving you more and he's gonna provide and there will be no lack, no lack in the kingdom, no lack when it comes to Jesus. God's love is not scarce. There's no scarcity of resources in his love towards you. And it's a myth. Well, Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus gave all love to you. And he doesn't have enough for me. And if you, that's you and you think that today, I just want to let you know that Jesus has enough love for you as well. He sees you and he's going to be an abundant God for you and give you abundant life. And he's moving us to a place just like he did with Philip. Where are we to get these resources? And Philip's response was looking and calculating, but Jesus saying, quit looking and calculating and come to me, look to me, and I will provide, and I will give, that I will be enough. So I'd love for you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment, and I want us to have an experience with Jesus today. An experience with Jesus, and this will be by talking to Jesus. And I want you to talk to Jesus, and I'm going to tell you what to say and what to pray. The way we talk to Jesus, the way that we apply this is, is simply by praying the perfect prayer that he's already taught us to pray, which is the Lord's Prayer. So I want you to pray this with me as I pray it right now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors for thine is the kingdom the power the glory forever and ever amen that prayer this week is your step of obedience I don't know where your bread comes from every day, how it's going to come practically, but I do know where it comes from spiritually. And I do know that Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Couldn't the bread of life, Jesus, give you enough to live your life how you're supposed to live? If you would stand with me out of a moment of reverence as we begin to take communion and if you need an element you missed that on your way in a communion cup and 
with the wafer and juice, then our ushers be right with you. Just raise your hand and they'll bring it to your seat. But as we remember Christ this morning, because that's what communion is, what we're remembering is we are remembering to ask Jesus for our daily bread. And communion is a moment to remember that Christ will give enough portion for your life. That Christ, when his blood was shed and his body was broken, was enough for you to come to him. It offers forgiveness. It offers new life. Psalm 23, as we prepare our communion this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though there are problems and big problems all around me, problems that are so dark that I can't even seem to make my way out, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a reminder that Jesus is with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Communion is us coming to the table together. And although there's problems and accusers in the world coming against us, we are at the table this morning and he's prepared it for us. And he's made a chair available for you. So pull your chair up. If you would take the wafer this morning. Jesus said, this is my body. As he's sitting at the table with us, this bread represents my body, which was broken for you. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Bless it. In Jesus' name, you may take of the bread. And there at the table, he took a cup. That cup was filled with wine, representative of his blood that was shed for us. A gift so we could be made new, grace. So Jesus, we thank you for this juice, your blood. We remember you, bless it. Thank you for forgiveness of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. You may drink of the cup. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are. We praise you right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give God a big hand this morning. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. It's a joy to be with you this morning. And before you go, I want to let you know we're going to have prayer workers right out at these light poles. And they would love to pray with you before you leave this morning any request and if you have a prayer request or praise report you can share that through our connection card that's coming up and we would love to pray with you and also celebrate what god's doing in your life because we know god is doing extraordinary things in your life and also i want to let you know on that on that connect card on that link tree there there's a moment to sign up for our luminous loves 
our luminous, luminous Loves campaign where we just go and adopt families, provide food and mentor care. And we're looking for five mentors from our church to come walk alongside of families. It's about a four hour a month commitment. And if you're interested in that, would you go to that Luminous Loves link tree, sign up. I'm interested in becoming a mentor. And we'll be with you in, in this week as you do that. Hey, we, we love you so much. And uh, it's a delight to be with you this morning. We pray that you're blessed this Sunday. We'll see you.